Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let's get into the Word today. We're going to be uh, just talking a little bit, and uh, how many would be honest, and we kind of talked a little bit about it last week, but this, this theme has just really arrested my heart, and I just really wanted to, to kind of talk a little bit about it, but how many have ever struggled with doubt or being disillusioned in your faith? Yeah, I think it's a very real thing. I think sometimes we go through some things, and we oftentimes get to a place, often we, we start out, I'm following Jesus, I love Jesus, and then there are certain things that can come up, that can creep up uh, in our lives that can cause us to struggle with doubt, that can sometimes cause us to be a little bit disillusioned in our faith. We can, we can struggle, and, and I think that throughout the Bible, what you'll find is, the Bible, and this is what I love about the Bible, it's filled with real people. And there were people, even in Hebrews chapter 11, that are in the hall of faith, there's a few of those that when you track through their story, that there were moments in their story where they kind of struggled a little bit at some point with their faith. They struggled a little bit with doubt. In fact, some of the heroes of the faith, some of the people that you would look at and say, no, those are the people I want to be like, you would find that some of those folks struggled a little bit at times in their faith, became a little bit disillusioned, didn't understand what God was doing, got a little bit discouraged, and struggled at times with doubt. In fact, as we begin, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your copy of God's Word today, I want to encourage you to open it up. If you've got that U version on your phone, let me also highlight this. Uh, we have started through the Church Center app because many of you have said, I don't want multiple apps. Okay, well, we don't want that either. So our, our, our Painesville Assembly of God app will be going away very shortly, the one that says Painesville AG, that app. We're going to go right completely to Church Center. In there, under the More tab, is Sermon Notes. You can open those up. If you've got the YouVersion Bible app, those sermon notes are going to take you right to YouVersion. You don't have to have it, but they'll take you right to the YouVersion Bible app, and you're going to have the sermon notes to be able to follow along, but do that through the Church Center app. If you need help with that, we can help you uh, with that as well. This is what Alistair McGrath said as you're turning to Matthew 11 about doubt. He said this, doubt is natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Anybody admit human weakness and frailty, right? He goes on to say that unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. That's unbelief. Unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God. It's a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt, he's contrasting doubt and unbelief, but doubt... But doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. Now, I don't agree with all of his theology, but I do agree with this. John MacArthur observed this. It's interesting that when the New Testament talks about doubt, whether you're talking about the Gospels or the Epistles, it primarily focuses on believers. He says that's very important. It's as if you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to be committed to it before you can begin to question it. So doubt is held up as the unique problem of the believer. 
So what we're not talking about with being disillusioned or facing doubt in our faith is unbelief. What we're talking about is is somebody who's had faith, they believe, they've had a sense of faith, but something along the line has happened or somewhere along the line, doubt or disillusionment has begun to creep in to their lives. Even Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite pastors and preachers out of, out of England, and he said this, some of us who have preached the word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible, but ha- have nevertheless been the subjects of the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we have preached. Boy, oh boy, that's crazy, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon. But that's the truth. The truth is, is that the reality of, of, of our faith and our human frailty is at some point in our faith, there will be things that cause us to question, that cause us to, to wonder, that cause us to try to, to have to unpack and say, is what I really believe the truth? Is, the, is this really something I can hang on to and get my hands in? And I think that, that oftentimes that's a reality. That faith is hard. How many would agree that sometimes faith is hard? It's hard. Sometimes the things that you, that you, that you think ought to happen in faith, when they don't happen, it can, it can really be concerning and really cause you to question your faith, to, to struggle with doubt, particularly when the burdens of life feel heavy. The good news is that in our doubts, we have a God who loves when we will press in an honest searching, in honest questioning, in honest conversation. We have a God who is able to handle that and a God who is able to help us through our doubts and disillusionments. A God who will assure us in our faith. This is what J.C. Ryle said, doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. Only that his faith is small. One of the examples is, is when, if you might remember, when Peter got out of the boat, began to walk on the water and began to sink, right? He, he stepped out in faith. Then he began to question, got a little, his eyes in the wrong, got a little bit disillusioned, right? And began to sink. What did Jesus say? You of little faith, not you of no faith, you of little faith. So to anyone this morning who's feeling the burdens of life or heavy, maybe struggling a little bit with disillusionment, I want to encourage you because today we're going to look at the life of someone who we would, we would say, man, they are, they're, they're a person of really faith. In fact, not only them, but Jesus said this about this person. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater. Those of you who, who have grown up in Sunday school, who are we going to talk about today? John the Baptist, there we go. I knew there were some of you that would know that. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, John the Baptist had a season or a moment where he was disillusioned and began to struggle with doubt about Jesus. John the Baptist struggled a little bit with doubt about Jesus. You said, really? Well, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to kick it off in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? 
And if you just read that and you don't know the context and you don't know John the Baptist and you don't know what happened before this, you would think, well, this is an, this is an honest question. Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Do we look for someone else? I mean, that would seem like a normal question. But for John the Baptist, at one point in his life, he was absolutely 100% certain that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one, he was the one that had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. He was certain about it. How do I know that? Because if we flip over to John's gospel, in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29, it says this, the next day he saw Jesus, this is John the Baptist, coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Get that, he was before me. Now, if you know the, the story, you know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus was born. So what he's saying is, Jesus has always existed. He's the Lamb of God. He's the prophesied one. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Did you catch that? He was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, this is my purpose, this is my reason, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, this is John, I have seen, I saw with my own eyes, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I don't know about you, but that seems like 100% certainty that Jesus is who he said he was. That's like 100% certainty, isn't it? Well, what happened? Hold on a second. What happened between John chapter 1 and the beginning, Jesus being baptized, John witnessing that, John telling his own disciples and his own followers, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is the one who's come, to now all of a sudden in Matthew chapter 11, he's sending two of his disciples and they're saying to Jesus, are you the Christ or should we look for another? Are you the one or should we look for another? John the Baptist found himself in a moment where what he was so 100% sure of in his faith about Jesus, he suddenly became a little bit disillusioned about it. He, he was struggling with a little bit of doubt. I don't know about you, but that encourages me this morning. If somebody like John the Baptist could wrestle with a little bit of disillusionment and struggle with doubt, oh, wow, thank you, Jesus, that I, there's hope for me, that there's hope for me, right? So today, I want to talk about the anatomy of doubt. What leads to this disillusionment? What leads to this doubt in our lives, in our faith? I think the first is, 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 is this, difficult situations, how many have ever found yourself where you were 100% sure in your faith and then all of a sudden it seemed like everything started to, to kind of fall around, your world started to shake, something happened you didn't expect and you're thinking, I, I, come on, I don't know, if, what, what is this? Right, maybe initially you, you were like the hero, man I trust you Jesus through this but the longer the situation persisted, right? That, dis that, that doubt, and dis they start to creep in, don't they? They start to creep in. And nothing challenges our faith quite like a trial 
or pain? Well, for John the Baptist, what's the context of the questions? Go back to verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. In prison. Circumstances. John the Baptist is in prison. John's in prison. And we might have easily missed how long is John in prison? How, how long had John been in prison for by this point in time? Well, if we turn back to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 opens with the temptation of Jesus. So Jesus was baptized, and then you see that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. So following his baptism, tempted for 40 days, he comes out of that, and that's when he begins to call his disciples to follow him to begin his earthly ministry Excuse me. And in Matthew, or Matthew chapter 4, what we find in verse 12 is now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. So shortly after Jesus begins his earthly ministry, John is arrested. And by this point in time, if you follow it through, it has probably been at least a year, if not more, of Jesus' earthly ministry where now John is sending his disciples to Jesus to ask these questions. John has been in prison for a while. He's been in prison for a while. And while he's in prison, he, he's beginning to, to question. Now, how many of you know the prisons in those days? And I'm not saying prisons in the U.S. are nice places, okay? But compared to what it was like for people who were in prison in the Roman Empire, our prisons are like a country club. They were below ground. They were damp, usually on, on, on just dirt floors. You barely got fed anything, I mean, it was, it, what you got fed was not much at all. Maybe a little bread, maybe a little water. You were not treated very well. This is, this is where John the Baptist finds himself in. He is in prison. There's no comforts whatsoever. John had been there in a while. Why was he in prison? Well, you may remember that John was quite a colorful character, wasn't he? I mean, he was somebody that did not wear the stuff that you would normally wear. He was a wilderness guy. But remember his parents. Does anybody remember what his parents did for a living? They were in the priestly family, right? In fact, when he, was, when he was prophesied that he would be born, his dad was offering the sacrifice at that time. His mom was also of the priestly lineage of Aaron, but he didn't follow in the priestly way. He was outside. He was on the outskirts. He was wearing the animal skins and, and, and wearing the tough stuff, and he was eating locusts and honey. I mean, this guy, and he was, he was calling people to judgment. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom. This, this is not a quiet guy. Right? He's an outdoorsman. He's a rugged guy. And, and he was calling people to repentance and prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And what got John in trouble? Well, there was a king at that time, and his name was Herod Antipas. King Herod Antipas. There are three. Herod the Great was when, when Jesus was first born, killed the people two and under. There's a Herod later, Herod Agrippa I, during the book of Acts with with James where he first beheaded James and, and, and imprisoned Peter and was given the church heart. That's, that's Herod, Herod uh, the first. He's actually, uh, he was actually uh, Herod uh, Antipas's nephew. And, uh, and, and if you really look at history, um, who Herod married was Herod, his nephew's sister. That's kind of weird, right? See, this was part of the problem because not only was it about his, like this, but see, he, 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 uh, he decided that he had a new love in his life by the name of Herodias. 
So Herod Antipas uh, all of a sudden had a, had a new love in his life. In fact, if you read through history, uh, you, you will find that, that his first wife was, was Phasialis. Uh, I don't know how to say it. She was the daughter of Aretas. And she had, he had once visited the palace of his brother, King Philip. She was married to, uh, Herodias was married to, to King Philip. He ended up divorcing his wife and marrying his brother's wife. It was an illegitimate marriage. And, and this is what it says in Matthew 14, 3 through 5. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. He wanted to put him to death, but he didn't. He just kept him in prison to try to shut him up because he kept saying, listen, this marriage of yours, it's illegitimate. It's not right. It's not what God says is right. It's a lustful relationship. It's not based. It's based on adultery. It's based on on a power play because she thinks you move up more than Philip did. And and there's all kinds of things that are positioning here. And he's, he's saying, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And so... So what did Herod do? Herod had him arrested because of that. So here he is imprisoned for standing up for righteousness. He has done everything that he was supposed to do in terms of of being there to, 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 to say the Messiah is the one to come, the Messiah is the one to come. And now he finds himself arrested and, and Jesus is, is out, not really, nothing's happened, not doing, he's not getting out of prison, nothing's happening. It doesn't seem like anything has been, has been changing, his circumstances have been changing, and, and all of this, and he's thinking, God, where are you in my circumstances? Where are you? You ever been there before? In the Old Testament, Elisha was there, Right? He showed down the prophets of Baal. He had followed God. He had done all this rain and everything. He goes to, 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 to there and Ahab's running. He runs back. You know, I'm, the God of Israel defeated the prophets of Baal. The God of Israel. And Jezebel's like, uh-uh, if I don't take your life by the end of it. And what's he do? He runs and he begins to get discouraged, right? He actually gets depressed. So much so that he's like, God, I'm the only one. Right? Everybody been there before? God, I'm the only one. God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, why are these circumstances going on in my life? This isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand this. Right? We struggle sometimes with doubt. And you've experienced before. And and John the Baptist has experienced before. And you keep on trusting and you keep on praying. But nothing nothing is, is changing. And the longer it persists, the easier it is for you to wrestle with disillusionment and doubt. Secondly, the anatomy of doubt is not just our, our, our circumstances, our, our, our unfair circumstances, but how about unmet expectations? Unmet expectations. If we examine the question that John asked in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 11, we get a glimpse of some unmet expectations. Are you the Messiah? We've been expecting expectations. Or should we keep looking for someone else? That question is loaded with, we had expectations for the Messiah. 
This is what it said the Messiah would do. This is what would happen when the Messiah would come. There were expectations that many people had, not just John, about what they saw the Messiah doing. Now, you may remember, we've talked about it before, the prophet Malachi ended, and the Lord had spoken through Malachi, the prophet Malachi, and then there was 400 years of silence. And now all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene. Even Herod said the people thought him to be a prophet and and prophetic of the Messiah is coming and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He has been prophesying about the Messiah. And this colorful character, John, he's a product of a miraculous birth. He said, I know what my role is and I'm convinced this is his role. He's the Messiah and and this is what's going to happen. And here's what happens when the Messiah comes. He's going to do what God has done all throughout the Old Testament. Remember when we were stuck in in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, God raised up a prophet by the name of Moses who came and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And miraculously, God did a thing where he set the people free from their oppressors, the Egyptians. And then if you take a look, when they got into the promised land, in the days of the judges, when the people would wander away from God and their enemies would oppress them, God would raise up a deliverer when they would cry out to him. And that deliverer would set them free from the nations that were oppressing them. Over and over and over. And and even with with Saul and David as kings, they would overcome the enemy. And and, and those that would seek to come in as a nation and take over. God promised Israel would be a nation. And come on, this Messiah is going to reign in the line of David. And he is going to raise up. And we're under Roman occupation. But it's not for very long because judgment is going to come. And a new king, the Messiah, is going to reign on David's throne. Right? That's what's supposed to happen. I mean, even after the resurrection, since we're one week after Easter, the disciples in Acts chapter 1 asked Jesus, okay, maybe we missed it before, but you've raised from the dead. Now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, you still don't get it. You go and wait for the Holy Spirit. Go wait for the promise of my father. That's what you do. (laughs) That's what you do. At this point, again, we're we're over a year. Maybe some people believe about 18 months of Jesus' ministry have passed. There is no sign of him taking power. Nothing has changed for Israel as a nation. Nothing has changed. In fact, here's the reports that John is hearing. Uh, here's the well let me go back the prophet Isaiah declared this about the Messiah the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison for those who are bound where was John the opening of the prison for those that are bound Jesus you're not doing what Messiah does you're not doing Messiah things that you're not following, you're not doing what Messiah does. These are not Messiah things. The Messiah should be calling people to repentance. The Messiah should be, should be, should be overcoming the Rome. The Messiah should be setting people, setting people who are captive free. And I've been captive for 18 months here. I've been, I've been, I, I did what I was supposed to do. This isn't fair. These aren't the expectations I have. In fact, in fact, in fact, what I keep hearing, what I keep hearing is that you're having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. You're offering people grace 
and mercy. I'm calling them the repentance and you're eating with them and pretending everything's okay. You're partying and I'm in prison. Are you really the one? Are you really the one? I don't know about you, but when I was studying that this week, that was one of those things where it was like, how many times do I misunderstand Jesus? Do I have expectations of Jesus that don't necessarily line up scripturally? Makes you think, doesn't it? In fact, in the applause of heaven, Matthew, Mac, Matthew, Max Lucado sums up disillusionment best when he writes this, clouds of doubt are created when the warm, moist air of our expectations meet the cold air of God's silence. Woo! Right? John struggled with doubt because he had expectations for the Messiah that didn't match his experience. And friends, oftentimes in our lives, we can experience disillusionment and doubt when the expectations we have for Jesus don't match our experience. Thirdly, limited perspective. Limited perspective. The reason that sometimes we wrestle with doubt is we just can't see. The second half of verse 2, going back to that, John the Baptist who was in prison heard about the things the Messiah was doing. Notice what it says. He did what? He heard. He didn't have firsthand experience. Remember, he was arrested shortly after Jesus began his ministry. So all John the Baptist had in terms of his perspective was what other people were telling him. What other people were telling him. So his perspective was limited because it wasn't his own experience. He wasn't seeing what Jesus was doing. He wasn't hearing Jesus preach. He wasn't seeing the miracles. He didn't see when Jesus would confront the Pharisees. He, he, he didn't see the, the, the different times where Jesus would call people uh, to repentance or even talk about judgment or those kind of things. From his limited, from his limited prison cell, he had a very limited perspective. And, and, and when it comes to our circumstances and our expectations, how many would agree that sometimes we can't necessarily envision the entire plan or see what God is doing? We have a very limited perspective. So in the moment, we see, we see the news reports that are happening, uh, what's happening in our nation, and we hear the news reports and the clippings, and we go, God, do you even see this? Do you even know what's going on? Do you see the injustices that are happening? Do you see the things that are... I don't see how this fits into your plan. I, I don't see how this in my life can fit into your plan. I don't, I don't see how you're working and, and my child who once followed you is no longer following you and I've been praying. I don't see any evidence that you're working in their life. I, 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 just, I, don't see, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand your ways. And I know some of you are thinking of Isaiah right now, right? Your ways are higher than my ways, right? But we have a limited perspective. And so oftentimes we can't see. John the Baptist's perspective was limited. It seemed dark. He didn't understand what the Messiah was doing or why he was in the circumstances he was in. And from his limited, his limited prison cell, all he could do was hear the reports from those who were giving him little snippets. And he was trying to piece those things together. And they weren't fitting. And so he was struggling with doubt and disillusionment. 
Again, I want to go back to Max Lucado and applause of heaven. And he said this, God has never turned away the questions of a sincere seeker. John wasn't asking because he wasn't sincere. He truly wanted to know, did what I believe and, and said and shared and witnessed, am I missing something? And so Jesus then responds. And in this response, we see not only the anatomy of doubt, but we get the answers to doubt. And, and how, do we, how do we wrestle with this? How do, we, how do we confront doubt in our lives? Well, first, I think we need what, what Jesus gives John, and that is this, biblical revelation. Biblical revelation. First and foremost, when you doubt, you need biblical revelation. Jesus answered them. This is what it says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, following this, he's going to use some references from the Old Testament. He's using references from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. When Jesus is responding to John, what he's doing is he is taking him back to Scripture. He's taking him back to Scripture. He's saying, Scripture is what's going to answer your doubt. When you are a believer, if you are facing doubt and disillusionment, your answer, how you begin to handle that, is you've got to go to Scripture. You've got to see what Scripture says. You've got to go back and get biblical revelation what does the Bible say? And Jesus says this about the prophecies of the Messiah, the promised one. He says this in Matthew eleven five: the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. What was Jesus doing? He was combining two of these prophecies in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 and he begins with the significance of the blind receive sight because if you you read through the Old Testament, there was never a miracle of a blind person receiving their sight. And after Jesus left, there was never a miracle of a blind person receiving their sight except Paul when the scales fell from his eyes. You will not see a blind, blind a miracle of the blind receiving their sight following that. This was a prediction of the Messiah. And Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus is addressing John's doubt by referring to Scripture. He's referring him to Scripture. He says, see, this is the evidence of the kingdom of God that is breaking in. Take that back to John. You let John know to go back to the Scripture because the Scriptures are being fulfilled through me. What about judgment? Well, later on, he refers to the coming judgment here, right in this chapter, and Matthew chapter 11. It's kind of long, but I want to read these four verse, five verses. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done. So Jesus had done these works. He said to John, go report these works in, that have been done. And now he says this, where most of the mighty works have been done because they did not repent. What was John's big thing? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For in the, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. John, you can't see what's coming, 
But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Uh, the mighty works have been done. The, the, the evidence is obvious. And those who do not repent, judgment is coming. Don't you worry. What you have predicted is going to come. And I'm saying the same thing. John, 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 you've got to go back to Scripture. You've got to go back to Scripture because I am the fulfillment of Scripture. That's the promise. The promises of God will come to pass Though your circumstances are unpleasant and though your expectations haven't been met, understand this, I am still on the throne and I am still working. The first answer, yeah. The first answer to address doubt is to go back to the word of God. You have got to fight, you cannot fight doubt without a foundation in the word of God. You can't fight doubt without getting into the word of God. Second is a commitment to trust. After alluding to these Old Testament verses, Jesus ends this section in Matthew eleven six with these words, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you've got to trust me, John. John, you can't see it. You have a limited perspective. I, I know that, that you think that, that the expectations you have, they're not being fulfilled. You just don't understand. I know your circumstances are, are not good. And you know what? The bottom line is they're not going to end well according to this earth. But God is still on the throne and has a plan. And you've got to trust his plan. And you've got to trust me. You've got to trust the person of me. You've got to trust me, Jesus. Don't be offended by me. Don't fall away because of your expectations for me were not met. Don't trip up and fall away because I didn't do what you thought I should do. Or your circumstances aren't what you thought they should be. Don't fall away because your perspective is limited. How do I not fall away? You just got to trust me. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. I mean, isn't that what faith really is? When it really comes down to it, isn't faith trust? It's just simply trusting. Who are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust our perspective? Or are we going to trust Jesus? Are we going to trust that we know what is best? Or are we going to trust Jesus? Are we going to trust his word? Where in his word we see that, that his promises are yes and amen. They have their amen in who? Christ Jesus. Not in what? In who? This is about a who. This is about Christ Jesus. Ultimately, faith is about trusting in Jesus. It's about trusting in Jesus. It's about trusting in him. You see, post-resurrection, you and I have the opportunity to see that Jesus Christ did die on the cross, rose from the grave, the church was launched, and we have the ability to see that through the Holy Spirit's power and what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he erased the penalty of sin and he destroyed the power of sin in our lives. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. John didn't have that perspective. He didn't see that. That was before. How much more do we have of evidence that Jesus Jesus does what he says he's going to do, that he said he would die and he'd be raised in three days, and he did, and he did, and he did, and because he did, you and I can trust in him and trust in his word, no matter our circumstances and no matter our expectations, whether they're met or not, we've got to come down and say, I have a limited perspective, but you have an eternal one. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths.
He'll make your path straight. It comes down to trust. Worship team, will you come? So let me, let me just close. Are you struggling with disillusionment? Are you struggling with doubt? Maybe there are circumstances in your life that are not good. Maybe you went to the doctor and you got a diagnosis that you didn't expect. Maybe you've been praying for healing in your life, but that healing has not come. Maybe a family situation, maybe it's a marriage that didn't work out the way you thought, or maybe it's something with a child that just isn't going, or maybe you've experienced a loss that you didn't expect, or maybe a job situation that hasn't come through. You've been waiting, you've been praying, and it's like God is not meeting your expectations. It doesn't seem like your circumstances are changing, and you're beginning to struggle in your faith. Can I encourage you today to trust in Jesus? to trust in Jesus, that Jesus will come through for you, but you gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. You gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. He's not just the author of your faith. Hebrews says he is the finisher of your faith. The finish line comes because we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because we keep our eyes on Jesus. And maybe today you've struggled with unbelief, but, but maybe this morning God is pricking your heart. It's not so much doubt because you haven't really believed, but today you say, I need salvation. I, I want to believe in Jesus. I, I need to put my faith in Jesus. Maybe today for you, it's putting your faith in Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite you this morning to respond to what Jesus is doing in your heart and in your life. Can we stand this morning? Can we just stand across this place this morning? Those of you watching online, I want to talk to you as well this morning. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I've struggled with unbelief, but I, I, I really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and I today want to put my faith in Jesus. I need his forgiveness of my sin. If that's you and you want to put your faith in Jesus, will you slip up your hand all across this place? Come on. Will you slip up your hand? I want to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his salvation today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I need salvation today. All right. Secondly, you'd say, Pastor, I'm wrestling with, with some disillusionment in my life. I'm struggling a little bit with doubt. There's been some circumstances. My faith has just really struggled, and I need prayer. Will, they, will you just slip up your hand if that's you? I just, I'm struggling, yeah, I'm struggling, yeah, 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 absolutely. Come on, you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone. Jesus, I thank you for those that have raised their hands. I thank you, God, that you can handle the tough questions. You can handle when we face a little bit of uh, uh, doubt, when we struggle with some disillusionment, when we're wrestling with things. God, you can handle that, and we see that. We, because you spoke very highly of John the Baptist, even after the questions. You spoke very highly about John the Baptist. You said he, the, uh, some great, you, you, you just affirmed him. And, and that just affirms us that, that we might be wrestling, but God, if we are sincere seekers, if we're sincere, sincere searchers, that you can bolster and encourage our faith today. And I just pray for those that raise their hands that you'd encourage them today, that you'd bolster their faith, that you'd encourage them today, that Father, you'd just strengthen them, that they would not give up, they'd not grow weary in doing good. But God, that, that we would just continue to put our trust and our faith in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, 
visit PainesvilleAG.com.